So you'd like to change your boss's perception of you, perhaps, maybe, even their behavior. On this episode, Tom Henschel returns to discuss where to start, what to say, and the places to avoid when you're attempting to manage up. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 433. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the conversations that comes up a lot in my conversations with leaders is the topic of managing up. Uh, In fact, it's come up a lot more in the recent past uh, as I've been having conversations both professionally and even a few situations of friends and family members who have navigated into these waters with bosses. The question has arisen of, well, how do I manage up effectively? And when, if at all, should I coach up? And when my boss is looking to me for some direction, how do I handle that situation? Well, Today, we're going to dive in on that with one of our longtime guests, a dear friend of mine and an expert, Tom Henschel. I'm so glad to welcome Tom back to the show. He is from Essential Communications. Tom has been working for many years to groom senior leaders and executive teams. He is an internationally recognized expert in the field of workplace communication and self-presentation and has helped thousands of leaders achieve excellence through his work as an executive coach and through his top-rated podcast, which many of you follow as well, The Look and Sound of Leadership. It is my favorite podcast on leadership, and I never miss an episode. Tom, I am so glad to have you back. It's always a pleasure, Dave. Thanks. Well, managing up. (laughs) So this is a big topic, and I mentioned the phrase also coaching up in the opening, and before we go further, and there's a lot we I think we both could say about this, perhaps we should start with making the distinction between these two of managing up and coaching up. When you think about those terms, what's different? When I think about managing up, I think about my opportunity to influence how my boss perceives me. It's my opportunity to manage the perception my boss has of me. When I think of coaching up, I think that I want some change in the relationship. I'm asking for something to be different. And so managing up to me is really about me and my opportunities. Coaching up is about creating change. I love that distinction. And we should also probably preface this by, I know you and I are conscious of the fact that not every boss is in a healthy place and ready for either of these conversations. And right. yeah. we, we have aired an episode before called How to Handle a Boss Who's a Jerk. <laughs> so there's a lot there for folks who are in a situation. And if you are in the situation, boy, our heart goes out to you of working with someone who's, well, let's just say, is not thinking as proactively about the relationship and about leadership as perhaps you are. And that is a situation that I think a lot of us have been in. We're going to look at this conversation today a little bit more from the, I don't know, Tom, I'm trying to think of a better word than normal. <laughs> There's no such thing as a normal conversation but or situation, but of a boss who intends well and generally is doing some of the general leadership and management things well, how would you approach that conversation? Right. Know, I'm that, with you. Is that fair? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I think the tips, the techniques, the thoughts that we're going to have today apply to kind of your average run-of-the-mill relationship with a boss. It's not about those situations where it's fraught because the boss is kind of out of control or not well self-managed. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about your average situation. One of the things I know you say often in your conversations with clients is that your boss is your biggest customer. Tell me more about that. Boy, I do. I say that all the time. So, you know, when I talk to people as an executive coach and I listen to them talk about their boss, a lot of times I'll hear they want something different or they're resistant or they're pushing back against something. And I have been saying this phrase to people for years is your boss is your biggest customer. If, if you think of it that way, does that change what you want just from the outset? This goes to the idea of, for example, saying yes to your boss. You know, a lot of people fight with their bosses. You know, the boss wants something to present to the senior leadership and they want it as a PowerPoint with graphics only. And you go, no, we need it with bullet points. No, we need it with an appendix. No, we and I'm going like, why are you arguing with your boss? Your boss is your biggest customer. I think just starting from that can often change a lot of how you think about what you're really doing in that relationship. The relationship is not equal. It's not. So you are, quote, managing up. We're not talking about managing peers or managing your direct reports. It's managing up. So, yeah, your boss is your biggest customer. Keep that in mind. I, I know there are some people listening who are hearing that and thinking like, wow, that wasn't necessarily the first thing I expected to hear saying yes. And and in some ways, that's a little different than managing up, right, of managing perceptions of how you want your boss to see you. So where's the difference there as far as managing the perception, but also framing a situation like, okay, I'm this is my customer and I'm, I'm going to say yes, at least anything reasonable that comes across my desk. Wow, that's fascinating, Dave, because I think that's actually a core issue. If you're my boss and I want you to see me a particular way, isn't it really smart of me to treat you like my customer? Aren't you going to like working with me more if I don't ever have to say this to you? But if my mindset is you're my biggest customer and I treat you that way every day, in terms of how I respond to your emails, how I show up to your meetings, how I respond to requests from you, aren't you going to have a better perception of me, a more beneficial perception of me if I treat you like my boss? So I actually think it's a core issue and not in conflict at all. Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I think that the thing that I see people running into once in a while is they they have a hard time with any kind of change of what the boss has suggested or has ask them to do. And when that boss maybe, and this maybe bleeds into a little bit of when they're not in that healthier place, but they find themselves jumping around a lot and just kind of jumping to all yeses and not sometimes thinking thoughtfully of having a different conversation or pushing back a little bit on a particular issue when they need to. Ah, uh, so again, if, if you're my boss and I want you to see me a certain way, I also want to help you understand how I think about my work. Now, you may disagree with me, and that's okay. I work for you, and I'm willing to adapt and take on your perceptions. But I think it is important that I tell you how I think about things. One of the phrases that I ask people to think about is, 
I think differently about that. Those words, I think differently about that. It's not argumentative, and it's not saying your boss is wrong. It's an opportunity to have a real learning conversation for both of you. Now, your boss may not like how you're thinking about that, in which case, (laughs) I do think your boss may get the final word, and that's just life. But for you to be able to articulate, here's how I think about that. Because you, by the way, tend to be closer to the work, right? So your perspective is valuable. Now, it may not fit in with the bigger mosaic that your boss has, and you cannot see how your boss is viewing the world. So you may need to adapt. But I love the idea that you as my boss, you and I are going to have a conversation where I get to say, oh, you know, that's not how I think about it. Let me tell you how I think about it. Yeah, and I think that that's the piece that a lot of people are fearful of. And that Hmm. conversation doesn't happen. That's my sense of talking to some of our academy members and just thinking about some of these situations that have come across my radar screen recently and some of the questions we've received that there's hesitation there. And that's why I love that phrase of, I think differently about that. It's not a right or wrong. It's a, like you said, a learning conversation. Right. Listen, this goes to the concept of disagree agreeably, right? That I'm going to introduce an idea. I don't have to be right because there is no right. These are just opinions. But if I'm the guy that's closest to the work, I want to tell you what I see. And then you can, you know, tell me that it doesn't fit your needs. That's fine. But I certainly want to speak up. And by the way, again, <laughs> I've, I've got a guy right now who's in a just a really difficult situation. He's a senior leader. Their, their company's going through huge change. They were bought by a private equity firm. They're having to lay people off. They're having to change the business. And what he has a great deal of pride in, speaking truth to power. He said, I have no problem walking into a meeting. He's two levels below the CEO. He said, I have no problem walking in to a meeting with the CEO and just saying, that's not how we do it, right? Uh, And he doesn't take an argumentative stance of like, you're wrong. But he also has no problem saying, you know, this is why I would take a different choice. He speaks truth to power. And the CEO values that. So I, again, I think you need to be careful about who your boss is and pay attention. But Really, if your boss is going to look for somebody for the next promotion, if your boss is going to look for somebody to elevate, give a prime opportunity to, are they going to pick the person who's timid and won't speak up? Or are they going to pick the person who is not fearful and is willing to say, I think differently about that? I think that you do yourself an enormous service and self-promotion in an appropriate way by saying, that's not how I think of it. Mm. And I think there's a third piece to that too. You hit on the two big ones, the timidness and then the speaking truth to power in the in the appropriate way. And then there's the I speak truth to power, but I do it with a lot of emotion. And it's about <laughs> me and it's about what I want. And it seems like some people land there too of overshooting. And I know one of the things you you find yourself coaching people on is taking out the emotion in this a bit, right? Right. Well, and that's a Carnegie thing too, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Evidence. Yeah. Right. So speaking truth to power as if the power is wrong, you don't understand and you know, having real kind of passion in it. And again, I know a lot of people who take pride in their passion. I'm passionate about my work. To which I go, good, I'm glad it's important to you. 
But when you are managing up, a lot of times the passion, as in emotion, can get in the way of someone understanding your point or receiving it clearly. So I often say, talk about it like yesterday's weather. Talk about it like, you know, last week's traffic report. It's just data. You call it evidence. I think it's very different then. It doesn't mean that it's not important to you, but that you're not trying to use emotion as a persuasive tool. Because I think when you're managing up, emotion is rarely persuasive. Rarely. Yeah, and if you are trying to be perceived differently and to affect change within the organization, it really should come down to, in most cases, there's a business case, there's a numbers case to make for whatever it is I'm trying to position or advocate for and speaking truth to power in a way that is helpful to the organization. And so starting there with the numbers in the business case and coming with a, I've thought this through, here's a solution, here's a path forward that is relevant to where senior leadership, the CEO, whoever is already thinking about the problem most likely it just it just is it's an entry point for a lot more credibility. I think that's great. And it's funny because what I answer back in my head as I hear you talking about that is yes and because I think ultimately it's about how my boss perceives me, right? What I ultimately want is my boss to have me at the top of the list, the list for promotions, the list for opportunities, the list for let's bring Tom along on that important meeting with that client. I mean, whatever it is, let's, let's put Tom in front of the CEO. I think that my ability to be dispassionate, rational, persuasive, makes me a more valuable asset in my boss's toolkit. But if I'm going to come in and get all riled up and argue emotionally to my boss, well, I think it's unlikely my boss then is going to give me the next opportunity. Uh So I'm with you that I think there's a business case and that's great, but I just want to keep going back to why are we doing this? We're doing this because in fact, managing up effectively creates more opportunities in my own career. It creates a longer runway for me. Well, uh, speaking of runway, one of the reasons that generated this conversation, I alluded to it in the opening, is I've had half a dozen situations, both professionally with clients, but also a few situations of people in my personal life, of friends and colleagues who have had some version of their boss indicating a look to them for some direction or a recommendation on doing something. And it's really interesting to me, Tom, how many of those situations the person has not responded in any significant way to that request uh, or is waiting for their boss, their board, their CEO to lead in that particular area. And they haven't really come to the table with anything substantial. And I find that really curious. And and sometimes (laughs) (laughs) I have had a few moments in the last few months where I've had a few of these situations. I'm like, I'm like, wow, green light. Like your boss asked you for some input on this or asked you to write up something on what you think you would do. And it it is interesting now seeing a few times where folks haven't either responded at all or in, or very, in a very limited way, kind of still waiting for a direction. And 
I'm thinking about that in the context of what you said, of your boss is your biggest customer. And how do you think about timing around that? Listen, I would love to think that by this point in this episode, your audience is aghast at that story. Because if it's true that you're going to adopt the belief that my boss is my biggest customer, when your boss asks for something, you do it first. Or at least you get clarified, what's the deadline? Like, when do you need this? By end of business Monday? And then you make sure it's there in the morning on Monday. And you exceed expectations. So it's, you know, it is astonishing that people get requests from their boss and they kind of let it sit. It's like, wow, that's just amazing to me. Yeah. Not if your boss is your biggest customer. I'm going to take us to another uh, kind of major Bible point, if you will. And by Bible point, I mean like one of the things that I think should be engraved in your thinking about this, which is one way that you can evaluate how you are managing up is are you putting work on your boss's plate or taking work off your boss's plate? If your boss has asked you for something, you don't even need to know why. Well, it would be helpful sometimes to know the context and what's the ultimate use. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask for questions and get clarification. But, you know, you've got that request. That is work your boss wants done. Do it. Because the big idea here is Take work off your boss's plate over and over and over. There's a related phrase to this, which is don't bring a problem, bring a solution. Mm. It took me a long time to really understand what that meant. And to me, this goes back to the first thing I talked about today, right? Is I want you, my boss, I want you to know how I think about my work. If I'm going to bring you a problem like, oh my gosh, I just found out something that's that's creating a problem in our work process or it's creating an outcome we don't want with a client or whatever. If I'm going to bring you that problem, I also need to tell you my gut feeling about what a good course of action would be. Now I don't have to solve the whole problem, but certainly come and say, here's the next step. You know, I'm going to work with Janet on this and we're going to get you a report by next Friday or whatever it is, but to come to the boss. And I just want to say, I hear this over and over where I've identified something and think that's what I get a feather for. I get, I'm going to get recognized for having recognized the problem. And it's like, no, you know, this is not about medicine where you diagnose something and then hand it off to the specialist. You're the specialist. So if you've done the diagnosis, you also need to say, and here's at least one idea I have about that. Yeah. So this idea of putting work on your on your boss's plate, if I come to you with a problem, I've just given you work to do. No, that's not a good thing. I'm really glad you mentioned this because I don't think that it's probably new information to most people, and they've heard this before. Of, you know, Don't come to the table with a problem, come to the table with a solution, right? But I also find this to be true when talking to people is it is interesting in practice how often that doesn't happen. Or to go back to the mention before, there's a waiting for someone else to move on it. And I, I really see that as a distinction between people that I often perceive in organizations to be really politically savvy, to have power in a good way, to really have the privilege to influence, is this distinction between I see a problem and I'm maybe kind of waiting for what I'm asked to contribute, or maybe I 
throw out an idea in a, in a small way, or I see a problem and I jump in and identify that as a problem and I name it. And I also start the thinking process around how we'll solve it in some sort of substantial way. And your point, Tom, it doesn't necessarily mean that the answer comes, but that I've contributed something of significance to begin the conversation around how we resolve this problem. Right. You know, as you were talking, Dave, what I imagined was people in your audience listening to that thinking, wouldn't they like someone like that on their team? Yeah. Who's, who's proactive, who's action-oriented, who's engaged and thoughtful and doesn't need a lot of direction. Because by the way, if I'm waiting for you to direct me all the time, that's more work that I've put on your plate. So yeah, uh, again, if people can get this idea, and I do think, by the way, I think this is a learned skill, which is to look at a situation and ask yourself the next step, which is, how would I solve this? Or how do I want to contribute, right? What's something I can do to be helpful here? Yeah. I was thinking about that today and thinking about the fear that a lot of us have. And to your point, I think this is a learned skill. It's not something we've been trained in a lot of our schools and institutions of higher education to jump in and to try new things. At least that wasn't the environment I grew up in in a lot of the formal schooling and training I had. And I think the fear for a lot of us is like, what if I'm wrong? What if I offend? Or what if I go down a path that I shouldn't be going down in my job or I step on toes I shouldn't step on? And I am sure that that happens. But I do find that when I see people really moving intentionally in this way and really approaching things from, I'm going to offer solutions and I'm going to jump in, it seems like more often the opportunities open up and their senior leadership teams are just so excited to see someone who's moving proactively and doing something to address a situation. That just, I don't know, it just seems like that fear for a lot of us is uh, unfounded. I will be curious to hear how, for example, people in the academy think about that. I do a lot of coaching with rising young women, and they're, I would say, in their 30s. So they're often in a leadership role for the first time. They have small teams. They have not been taught, and this is not a gender thing, I don't think. It's about an age and seniority thing. When they're junior, they're often taught to not take action because often their actions are well-intended but misguided. And they're often spinning their wheels or wasting time. And their senior leadership says, wait, 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 you actually don't know the job well enough. Don't move forward. And I think that's not inappropriate. Right. But when it comes time to manage your boss, part of what, even if you're that person, that, you know, in your 30s person in a leadership role for the very first time, I still think there's value in coming to your boss with a recommendation. Even if your boss says, well, no, and here's why, well, then you're learning something. But you didn't come like a child to say, you know, I found this on the playground and don't have any idea what to do with it. Like, why is that helpful? Yeah. So you mentioned school and higher education. I want to say also in often in our first jobs, we're not taught to have initiative. We're not taught to kind of run with things because we don't actually know the lay of the land. I'm guessing that your coaching for leaders audience is in a place where they can begin to stretch this a little yes. bit. And part of managing up, I think, is taking that opportunity. 
Yeah, indeed. And I think that many, if not most of our audience, if are not already there, I think it's an invitation to start that process of thinking about how can I, and not just thinking, but acting and finding that place where you can begin to enter that conversation. As I think about that, Tom, I'm also conscious of we use this term coaching up at the beginning of this conversation and making the <laughs> distinction. Um, yeah. When should someone be thinking about coaching up? Where does that enter this? Well, I'll tell you where I hear it a lot. I hear somebody wanting to coach up when they don't like what the boss does. So I'll give you an example that I think has real traction and implications for a business. There was a team leader. She was the boss. There was a team leader who would think out loud during her staff meetings. And so she would say, you know, maybe we should do some research on that. And the team would kind of look at each other and go, was, was that instruction? And then maybe somebody would do something and then they would find out later, oh, two people had both been working on it and that looked like a waste of time. Or sometimes nobody would do it, but the boss would come back later and go, did anybody ever do any research? And then the team was like, well, no, we didn't know you were doing it. The point is, the team leader was not very clear with her direction. The person I was coaching wanted her to be better about that mm -hmm. and thought it was a coaching up situation to get her to change her behavior. Now, I just want to say, this makes perfect sense. If I had a boss like that, I would probably be frustrated too. However, think about the idea that you're going to go to your boss and ask your boss, to change her behavior. First of all, by the way, you have to give her the feedback, right? Hey, boss, you're creating some chaos in our staff meetings. You don't, maybe don't know it, but here's what's happened, and I could tell the whole story over again, and maybe your boss would hear that. But I'm going to guess that a lot of people that are in your audience, they are in long-term relationships. How hard is it to get your partner to change behavior? and respond positively to feedback. Now you're going to actually get your boss to listen to your feedback and change behavior? I just don't think it happens. I don't think it's appropriate. It's not your job to coach your boss. That's not what you're there for. But I don't think you have to be a victim either. So, so I'll, I want to be clear. If you... Now, I'm not talking to you, Dave. I'm talking about to, to the audience. No, you can if talk you, about me because it's really hard for me to change my own behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We talk about this in our academy groups all the time. Like, how hard is it for me to change my own behavior on something? So think about it with a boss, right? It's even more fraught. Yeah. And, right. So, so, but here's my point. I don't think you have to be a victim. I do think there's an issue here that can be managed. So here's how I encourage people to quote unquote coach up, which is to think of this as an issue, a business issue, not behavioral. So stop thinking, I have to get my boss to be more specific and clarify her thinking and stop just kind of brainstorming in those meetings because she's creating chaos. That's all about her behavior and it's finger pointy, it's blamey, it's judgy. This is not helpful. And by the way, if it were one of your direct reports, I would say it's still not helpful to be judgy and blamey. It's just not. But if you can think about it as a business issue and come to your boss and say, Sarah, I, I want to tell you something that I've noticed a couple times as a business issue. And I wonder 
how you might help us with this. Now, she's barely in the story yet, and I'm not going to do it as a finger point. I am going to, and this is really important, I am going to assume shared responsibility. One of the things that I hope in the story that I told, I hope that when I first laid that story out, there was a really obvious moment when the team might turn to the boss and go, what do you mean? Or the team might turn to the boss and go, do you want us to do some research on that? Where the team can take some responsibility and do some things differently themselves. She may not have to change anything. But once I begin to think of this as an issue rather than her behavior, I'm a partner in it because I'm in the story. Mm. And I think when you think about, quote unquote, coaching up, this changes it a lot. Now I'm not asking for her to change her behavior because she's a problem. But I say, well, there is a situation. She's contributing, but so are we, or so am I. How do we want to manage this? And now I can come to my boss with a genuine question that's not about her, but it's about the business issue. Uh I think that's a great way to think about coaching up. And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier of you use the word data and I use the word evidence, but mm-hmm. it's it's taking the emotion and the feeling out of it a bit. Those emotions, of course, are there, but it's starting from the context of, like you said, the analogy of reading a weather report. Here's what's happened. Here's the impact on the organization. Here's the numbers, maybe. And now how do we, and I, I love the way you're framing this of thinking about this of contribution, right? Like we're in this together. We've both arrived at this place. So how do we frame this in such a way that addresses the business issue? Right. Yeah. And listen, I think this is hard. I love that you put emotion in because how many people, you know, go out with their colleagues after work and drink and, you know, get frustrated about their bosses. That's a pretty normal thing, I think, but it's not helpful, right? I mean, that's just complaining, but there is emotion attached to it because it's frustrating. And I understand, I, I sympathize, it is frustrating. So I think then it gets hard to step away and to think like, hold on, what, why does this matter? Other than the fact that it's annoying to me, really, why does this matter to the business? Well, in the situation that I gave, it actually mattered quite a bit to the business. There were you know, hours wasted, there was confusion, there was lack of direction, there were all kinds of things that actually really did matter to the business. And there again, it's not my job to be upset, frustrated, blamey, angry about it. It's my job to be a contributor and to help bring a solution, right? We're back to that idea. Yeah. So the, the coaching up thing, I just want to say that when people want their boss to change, I just want to say that's a thinking error. I don't think that's going to go well. And I'm suggesting ways that you can frame it differently. So you get out of that idea of I'm going to coach my boss to do something differently. By the way, when I say that out loud, Dave, I just hope people can hear that and go, well, of course, on its face, that's ridiculous, right? That I would imagine I can get my boss to change her behavior. Like, really? Give me a break. Yeah, yeah. No, super helpful. And we mentioned Carnegie earlier, and one of my just favorite principles from Carnegie was appeal to the nobler motive. There's a whole chapter on how to win friends and influence people about that. It's not getting into the weeds. It's not getting into today's behavior. It's getting into the, what's the bigger reason we're all here? 
mm-hmm. to your example, Tom, like we all want this business to be successful. None of us want to have wasted hours, right? So how do we together talk about this from the bigger picture perspective first, and then framing that rather than I'm wrong or, or you're wrong or whatever, looking at this from the bigger picture perspective, what's the nobler motive we're all trying to work towards? And then how do we get there together and, and working toward that as, as a business issue? Can I pick up that one idea and globalize it to go back to managing up? Please. This idea of the nobler issue makes you, you say step back, but I also want to say that it's about getting a higher altitude, seeing from a higher altitude to see the lay of the land. One of the ideas that I think is important about managing up is that when you can, that you talk as close to your boss's altitude as possible. That's a terrific way to manage up and to help your boss see that you are not stuck in the weeds of your work. Often one of the frustrations that bosses have with the people who report to them is that they can't think at a higher altitude, that they are bringing problems that aren't actually appropriate for their way that the boss sees the business. So this whole idea of stepping back in order to take the emotion out, stepping back in order to remember why we're all here, I want to put that in the context of think at a higher altitude. Think as close as you can to your boss's altitude. Remember that you are one small tile in a great big mosaic that your boss is putting together. You are one of many perspectives. And you are small, appropriately so, small in your boss's view. If you can click out and see bigger, that's better. Yeah, indeed. And normally at the end here, I recommend other episodes from our library. And I am going to recommend one of the episodes you and I have done before on how to handle a boss who's a jerk. So when you do run into that situation, how do you frame that? Um, But I'm also going to, you've done a ton of work on this. So I'm going to point people in the direction of some of those episodes too, because I think that this this is worth getting better at. For yes. most of us at the point that most of our listening audiences is at in their careers, if this is something that feels a little uncomfortable, fearful, if you, like me, entered a place where you just in your career never really learned <laughs> for whatever reason how to take the first step and be proactive and to take initiative, which was the feedback I got early in my career. I showed up in my first job and my boss said, I want you to take more initiative. And it would just make the invitation to think about taking the first step at getting better at this, because I, I th- you're going to do a lot for yourself, but you're also going to do a lot for your organization because they need and want to hear your perspective, being close to the work, close to your team, close to the customer, whoever you're close to. It's such an important skill. I'm with you. Several resources and related episodes to today's conversation. You'll find those in the show notes. Uh, One of those include an article Tom recommended to us called Managing Your Boss from Harvard Business Review. It's one of the classics and complements this conversation very well. In addition, I'd recommend episode 164, How to Handle a Boss Who's a Jerk. Tom and I talked in detail in that conversation about when you are not in the situation where people are 
acting as rationally as we talked about in this conversation, what do you do then? There are some things you can do. There are also some things, of course, that aren't going to make a difference in that situation. And we really, in episode 164, tried to parse that out a bit and give you a good path forward if you do find yourself in that situation. Or perhaps you know someone who's in that situation now. It's a good resource for them. Also, I'd recommend several episodes from Tom's podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership. Tom has done a tremendous amount of work on this topic over the years, so much so that he has an entire category on his website called Managing Up. Three episodes in particular I'd recommend. The episode called Managing Up. There's another one called Managing Your Boss. And then finally, an episode on upward feedback. You can find all of those on Tom's website at essentialcom.com. That's essentialcom with two M's, right, Tom? Dot com. And also have those all linked up in the notes and this week's weekly leadership guide for those of you who received that. And then finally, I'd recommend an episode that I aired recently on the new Dave's Journal podcast. That's a podcast that I'm airing weekly, or at least most weeks. That's a quick five-minute tip on a specific leadership skill, concept, or thought. I recently aired an episode called Green Lights Always Change, which is my reminder for all of us that when you see a very clear green light in your organization, that is often the time to move and not to wait. Uh, Parsed out a bunch of thinking on that in that episode that'll also be linked up in the notes. All of those are available on the coachingforleaders.com website, or the very least, the links to uh, Tom's episodes as well. And if you haven't already, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership on coachingforleaders.com. That's going to give you access to the entire episode library since 2011, searchable by topics. You can track down the conversations that are of most interest to you. One of the areas that this episode will be under is the area of influence. Lots of other episodes we've aired over the years on that topic as well. Also, it'll give you access to my weekly leadership guide that comes every Wednesday in your email box with links and resources to things around the web that I think could be useful to you. And of course, access to the entire member resource area, the member cast, my own personal library, all the book notes. Coachingforleaders.com is where to go for that. Next week, Bonnie and I are back for the monthly Q&A episode. Coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is where to go to submit a question for that. See you next week with Bonnie. Have a great week.